For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's always remember that the power resides in God's word. Thank you, and you may be seated. Look after number one. Does that sound familiar? After all, if you don't look out for yourself, no one else will. Or there's another way of asking that question. What's in it for me? People want to know, what will they gain if they enter into this or that agreement or arrangement? In fact, there may be some people here today, and you're not sure if you're going to gain anything out of today's worship experience. After all, you did take the time and the energy to clean up, (laughs) to drive to church, to subject yourself to a room full of people, and you like to be alone. So, how do we know that you're going to get out of this time together what you expect? Spurgeon once said, preach on pressing, present, and personal matters, and you will secure an earnest hearing. But he also said, I heard one say that a certain preacher had no more gifts for the ministry than an oyster. And in my judgment, this was a slander to the oyster. For the oyster shows great discretion in his openings, and he knows when to close. Now, there are all types of preaching styles and music styles. There's plenty of opinions for all these things. And people are asking themselves the age-old question, will I get anything out of going to church today? Well, I would like to ask a different question. Could it be that both Christ followers and non-Christians alike attend worship services seeking one thing, while God expects something else. Or to put it differently, is it possible that some of us have come to a worship service seeking something less than what God intends to provide? There are all kinds of reasons why we're here today. Maybe you 
come to Amelia Baptist Church or whatever church you go to because you like the music or maybe you like the children's programs or the student ministries or in case for here, our multi-generational emphasis of equipping adults to equip and disciple the next generation. Maybe you even like the sermons. And if you're a seeker, and you're not a Christ follower, I want to ask you this question. What is your expectation for being here or anywhere or any church that you go to? Here in Psalms, David raises the bar for all of us, whether we are Christ seekers or, where we're, or whether we are Christ followers. Here's what he says in verse 4. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Now, one of the things that uh, we need to do is to get the background of this psalm before we can go into the application of this psalm. In this psalm, as we read earlier, and then in our responsive reading, there is a lot of is- there are a lot of issues here. There's a- issues of fear and faith and waiting on the Lord in times of difficulties. Probably, this psalm was written or composed during his flight, David's flight, from Saul. Most of us may not be aware that David had three anointings. His first was when Jesse found him. The second is when he was still fleeing from Saul. And the third was when he became king. Now, why do I talk about his anointing? Some of you are familiar with what's called the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the 3rd century B.C. Greek translation of the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. And here's what the Septuagint says. A Psalm of David before he was anointed. That's the opening. The Lord is my light and my Savior, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defender of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? So if this is written, we don't know exactly when it was written. But we do know it's before he became king, while he was in the midst of warfare in his own life, running from Saul. I appreciate Gordon Franz. He wrote, I thought, something that distills this uh, psalm. The psalmist's supreme and sole desire in life is to dwell in the house of the Lord in order to worship him. Behold his beauty and meditate on his word. Yet, he is battling enemies around him. And they prevent him from accomplishing his goal of worship. But he expresses his confidence in the Lord that one day... He will obtain his goal. But until that day, his desire to worship sustains him as he goes through conflicts of his everyday life 
In other words, and this was the title of uh, his uh, com- uh, of his writing, "Worship in the Midst of Warfare." All of us are going through warfare. As long as we're on this earth, there's going to be warfare, and I don't mean just spiritual warfare. I battle with this aging body. When I first came here at 39, I had no battles in my body. And I'm surely not going to say that in the 28 years that I've been here, you have been the cause (laughs) of those battles. King Saul had hounded David. He had chased him. He tracked him down like a criminal. And David fled. He had no idea what the future would hold. But while he was in these difficult and dangerous situations, his heart, his heart, wanted to worship. If God says that David was a man after his own heart, then he was. And this psalm really capsulizes that. As he expresses his heart. In the first verse, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He calls the Lord his light. That's really unusual in the Hebrew Bible to say that. But Jesus took that from the very beginning of the first chapter of John. This is what we read from the Apostle John. In him, that is the word, the Lord Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from, from God whose name was John the baptizer. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him he might believe. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Jesus is the very light that David longed for. Jesus said in John, I am the light of the world. He also said, I have come as a light in the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And then the Apostle John in his first letter said this, This is the message which you, uh, we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness. Notice that John is writing in this epistle what he was revealed from Jesus, that he is the light of the world. This is not John's opinion. But not only did he ascribe to the Lord that he is the light, but also my salvation. The Hebrew word for salvation is Yeshua, which is Hebrew for Jesus. Jesus is our salvation. In Matthew 1, the angels said to Joseph, And she, Mary, will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. Not from the Roman authorities, but from their sins. Not from political authority, but from their sins. Not from the um, genocide through the ages. 
But Jesus came to save his people from our sins. Then he asked, who shall I fear? Who shall I be afraid of? Well, the answer is nothing. Why? Because the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He's the stronghold, the strength of my life. This word strength means uh, stronghold or rock. And then he said something that's a little confusing to us. One thing I ask of the Lord, but the whole psalm is a lot of things that he's asking of the Lord. So which is it? Do you have one thing or do you have many things? Well, he's not talking about the quantity of his desire. He is talking about the priority of his desire. David is praying for a great many things, but one thing, no matter what the other prayer needs are. He's asking for this one thing, that God's presence and communion and fellowship will be with him no matter what he's going through. You know, our Jewish God and our God of Christianity is the same God and he's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere, but he's not only everywhere, but he's everywhere at the same time. Well, he's not only everywhere at the same time. He's everywhere at the same time all the time. But he gave the children of Israel a tent, a tabernacle. That he'd say, this is my presence. Because these people didn't really understand the magnificence of all that God is, they could come into a place. The temple is where the presence of God is. But God never restricted himself to one location. So when he says, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, David may be referring to the tabernacle or to the tent, but he has a much bigger view of God than that. Because he wants to dwell in his presence all the days of his life. And that doesn't mean that you stay hidden in a tent every day. Now, normally, when we use the English word sensual, we usually have negative terminology or personal intimacy um, connotations. But sensual really means the five senses. And in Hebrew worship, all five senses are used. You can see the beauty of the tabernacle and observe the sacrifices being offered. You can hear the beautiful music being sung and played by the Levites on the harps and their instruments. You can touch and handle the sacrifices. You can smell the burning of the sacrifices. You can even taste when you make your vow. But there's also a sixth sense that's not in the Scripture. It's just my observation that they would use their feet to dance before the Lord. Most Baptists are not very good with their sixth sense. And therefore, we created rules not to dance. This is not written, but I never saw my son dance until at his wedding, and I was flabbergasted at how good he really was. 
And I begin to wonder, was he really a Baptist at that time? (laughs) David dwells, desires to dwell in the house of the Lord, to behold the beauty. And he doesn't want to do it just on Sunday mornings. For him, the Sabbath. Or in the tabernacle. Or in a place. He wants to be in the beauty of his God every day of his life. But part of the problem is the tension that he is in warfare. And he can't be in the solitude and the meditation of his own heart because life is difficult. Do we simply take time on Sunday mornings and clock in our timers? Say, okay, let's get the show on the road. Is that what a worship service is really about? When you have your prayer time. Oh, got to get it in. When we read our devotions. Got that off the checklist. What are some things that we see in this psalm that indicate that we desire God, that we desire to be with Him more than anything else? One of the very first things is praise. Verse 6, he says, I will offer in his tent sacrifices of shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Now, we know that David was a musician. But in case you can't sing, you can shout joy. That is music to God's ears. It may not be music to your neighbor's ears. Some of us won't even open our mouth because we're so afraid that we're going to offend someone. Can I encourage you to open your mouth and sing? God loves that. He wants us to have faces of joy and praise. I once read a a minister say about the average Christian congregation that they look like bulldogs baptized in lemon juice. But I did put in here that is no reflection of those from Georgia. See, in contrast, Christ followers are to have a joyful desire to be in the presence of God. Whether it's here or in private or at home with your family or alone. The second thing we see here in verses 7 through 12 is prayer. Prayer is more than just requests. It's just spending time talking. How many of you... If you heard someone say, I love so-and-so, but I just don't want to spend much time with them. 
Would you believe that person? Verse 14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. He leaves his prayer and he begins to speak to his own soul. Wait, wait, wait. One of the indications of desiring God is that we have patience when we are with him. For you in the military, when you were gone for your six weeks or six months or your year, somebody was waiting for you. I hope they were. I don't know your personal testimony, your story, but the person who waited for you loved you. And while you were gone and you were overseas, you kept yourself, you were patient because you loved them. Our ability to wait and to be patient and to be strong at the Lord's coming is indicative of our desire to want to be him with him. We don't want to get distracted by others and other things. What do you think eternal life is? Well, my children's sermon about being in heaven so you, your teeth don't fall out anymore. Or you don't have to have a crutch or a walking cane. Or a wheelchair. Jesus defined eternal life on his priestly prayer. In John seventeen three, and this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This word to know is the very same word that describes the intimate time between a husband and a wife that they can have together with no one else. And if God blesses, something new comes from that. Baby, that enriches your life. You see, intimacy with God is the essence of eternal life. And yet somehow in our theology over the decades, we have ascribed eternal life as a place to go instead of going somewhere else. So I ask Jesus in my heart, not because I want to be with him, not because I want to embrace him, not because I want to spend time with him, but as a fire insurance policy. God's great desire is to have communion with us. Our focus has been misplaced. I go to Revelation 21 really quite often, 
in my mind and then sometimes just reading when I'm quiet. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, no crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things are passed away. And he who sit seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Then in verse 22. And I saw no temple. In the city. Wait a minute. Wait, wait. I thought David said in Psalm 27 that I want to be in his presence. I want to be in the holy place. I I, I just want to be in his temple, in the tent. I want to be in his presence. But in heaven, there is no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. David said, the Lord is my light. The city has no need of a sun or the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the lamp. I love the songs that we sang earlier. It really just capsulizes all this together. But something in the back of my mind when I was a kid, a song just kept kind of going through my mind and I had to go look it up, and if you don't mind, I'd like to read the words. It's really old for some of us. Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. I've heard of a land that is wondrously fair. They say that its splendor is far beyond compare. In that place that's called heaven, my soul longs to be for where Jesus is will be heaven for me. Heaven for me, yes, that will be heaven for me. Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. All of its beauty and wonder I'm longing to see, but Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. Now, if walls weren't jasper, and if streets were not gold, if mansions would crumble And if folks still grew old, still I'd see everything I've been longing to see. For if Jesus is there, it'll be heaven for me. You see, in the end, the temple that that David longed for is Jesus. The light of Yahweh is Jesus. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? I want to worship in the midst of warfare. All of us have some type of fear because of the unknown. But David is asking this question in the midst of all the warfare of this life. Is our heart desiring to be in the presence and delight in God? 
And when we come to worship, do we come just to learn more intellectual information? Or are we wanting and have we been preparing our hearts to be exalted in His presence and lifted up? When all else seems to be falling apart and you are in the battle of your life, Jesus is your salvation. But he can only be your salvation, and I'm speaking to you seekers now, if you will cease hostilities against him. Life is a battle enough. But some of us have been battling the grace of God. Thinking that you can get it on your own, that you can do your own thing, and everything's going to be fine when you die. But you know in your heart that's not true. Because when we have the peace of God, he gives us the peace of God. When we, when we are given the peace with God, then he gives us the peace of God in our souls. That comes through seeing the beauty of Christ. His sacrifice for all who will come to him. His wonderful resurrection, which assures that we will be in his presence forever. So I want to come back to the original question. So what's in it for you? What's in it for me? My friend, I am telling you this. It's more than you can imagine. It's more wondrous than going to church. Because Jesus is your salvation. Heaven isn't necessarily a where or a what. Heaven is a who. Though you go through momentary trials and suffering, compared to eternity, it's a fleeting mist. Eternal life is desiring God, communing with God, having fellowship with It starts now, even in the midst of warfare, that hinders us and tries to stop us. What's in it for you? More than you could ever ask. But you need to ask. Would you pray with me? Father, We pray that you would give us a heart to love you with all of our heart. That you would give us strength to love you with all of our strength. And that you would give us a mind to love you with all of our mind. That you would give us a desire for your very presence. For we ask in Jesus' name.
Amen.